Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Talking It Out About. Today I am joined by another wonderful guest. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, more than welcome. Hopefully you'll still have enjoyed it by the time we come to the end. I mean, hopefully it'll be fine. Um, so Michael, thank you so much for coming on and for chatting to me. Um, I just wondered if we could um, start at the beginning, I guess. Um, quite a few people might know you from Twitter and things like that, but I just thought for those that haven't met you or come across you, would you mind just giving us kind of a little overview of you and your life and how FND fits into it all? Um, I was an engineer doing robotics for most of my life. Unfortunately, I got bored with that because I got um, just no challenges. Came yes. into different um, industries like London Underground, which was brilliant for mm. three years. Yeah. But then I got bored with that and moved on to back to my photography days. Yes, you're a keen photographer, aren't you? Oh, yes. Ever since age 10 and a half. <laughs> 10 and a half. My goodness. That's a, that's a, wow. I wish I was that passionate about something at the age of 10 and a half. Well, it took me two, two months plus to ask my dad to take the family camera on a geography field trip to Leeson House in Dorset. Mm. And eventually I had to get my mum to help. Mm. And basically I fell in love with the first roll of film I took. <laughs> and it's been something you've done ever since yes <laughs> as a sideline occasionally earn a few pennies and but it's my passion yeah that's I, I think it's nice to have a passion isn't it I, I just from 10 and a half that's that's so young to find a passion. <laughs> that, that's that's just incredible that you were able to find a passion at that point I'm, I'm slightly jealous I have to say I, I didn't find mine well, I don't think I have my mine I'll let you know. I'll come back to you on that one. Um, so photography, you're an engineer, photography. Um, so those you said you left the engineering world because you got a bit bored. There wasn't any challenges for you. And that's why you ended up in photography. Oh, Michael, are you there? Hello. Michael, if you're there, I can't hear anything you're saying. Hang on. Oh, hello. Right. Okay. I think it's when my screen goes to sleep. Ah, okay. That is fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We can we can just run with it. It's fine. Um, did you catch anything I'd said? No, I can't remember now. <laughs> that is fine. I'm now desperately going to try and remember because I've also... I think what I was going to go down the line of was... Um, Photography and how that's helped you. That, let's start there. Let's go from that point. How it helped me is I just love capturing the beauty of the world. Yes. And when I do my sports photography, you, you get the peak of the action. Yeah. Something that you don't normally see. Um, if you're watching a movie and you see somebody jumping over something on a motorcycle or whatever, you just see that continuous movement mm. i capture the freeze point at the pinnacle of action yeah people don't see that no it's the same when i do my wave photography 
Mm. You see the individual droplets and the colours of that wave because it it's happens in a fraction of a second. Oh, it does as well. And I think there's so much, I like you do get swept into the whole action, like you said, with your sports stuff. And actually, it's really nice to be able to take that snapshot of that singular moment and yes. be able to look back on that singular moment. Um, there's so much power that can be found in photography. I wish I had the eye for it, but I just don't. It's just... <laughs> don't have the eye for a good photo <laughs> it can be taught if you can just... it? yes it can <laughs> um, that is one thing i want to do in 2023 is teach people everybody says they're crap at photography sorry yeah. for that word in but nope, they... that's fine, don't worry. um but it just needs a little push in certain directions yeah um, and show if you came out with me, for example, on a walk or we just discuss it around a table and I can show you how to improve your photography in probably less than 10 minutes. My goodness me. If you're, the thing is, all you've got to be is willing, willing to learn and just think about what I'm telling you. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Did that with a person who wanted to improve their photography in Cambodia. Mm. Went on three one-hour walks, and her photography came along in leaps and bounds. Because she saw how I took photographs, and then she mimicked it. Yeah. Um, and that's all it's needed to be. Is that you need a little nudge? Yeah. Um, to see things in a different way. When you see a subject, you normally say, oh, straight on. Ah, not necessarily. You might take one or two paces to the left, go in a bit closer, or go over the top. Yeah, and or, go, or go to the floor. Sorry? Or go down to the floor. Yes. It's just a matter of looking at something um, at a different angle. Yes, completely. And I think that's that. there's so... There's so much to be said for looking at things in a different angle, isn't it? I think um, life with FND definitely gives you that ability to see <laughs> things from a slightly different angle, I would have said. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I haven't really picked up the camera since my diagnosis with FND. Oh, OK. Um, I've done a few shots, but I haven't been enthusiastic in my photography. Mm. Is that, would you say that was because the FND is FND and it's just quite a lot to deal with? Yes. Yeah. Um, the first five months or four months after I was diagnosed, it seemed a blur. Yeah. Um, you didn't know quite what the heck was happening with your body. Mm. Why is my legs not working? Why have I got all this pain? Why, if I go to the shops, I come back completely exhausted? Oh, like there's something to be said, like the what what you would class as like the simplest of activities, like having a shower. Oh my goodness, I used to, I would find that exhausting, especially when I was having a bad day. Having a shower was just oh, it was like I'd run a marathon or three. So yes, yeah, it's hot. It's horrible, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So. But also, recently, we've got all these train strikes and other disruptions to your normal life. Yeah. Even if you wanted to go out and do something, you're stuck. Yes. Because I'm not allowed to drive at the moment. Oh, okay. Is that due to the FND? 
that's due to the FND with these uncontrollable spasms and my brain fog. Yes, brain fog. Oh my goodness, that that is just I don't know. I hate my brain fog when it when it comes in. I'm like I just feel like I'm in like a dream world and I don't really know what's going on and I'm just kind of floating around, kind of playing with the clouds. I um, agree with that totally. It's um, I tried to order a kebab a couple of months ago and I knew what I wanted. Yeah, your order. Could I get it out in the shop? No. <laughs> we have all been there. I I have completely been there. Um, I would forget the words for certain things, but certain like key things, and I'd have to try and describe what I was trying to say. But then I couldn't do that either because I couldn't work out what it looked like. It was it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you can see it in your head. Yes. And articulate it. Yes, it's like it's it's there. You can almost see the word in your mind's eye. But the process of getting it from your brain down to your mouth to be able to say it, it gets lost, it goes on a trek, it goes on an adventure, it goes and runs a marathon, and you're like, I haven't got any idea where it's landed. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not it's not pleasant at all. I completely understand that one. Yeah, when I collapsed at Waterloo Station, when we got the FND diagnosis, mm. it was like life was in slow motion. Yes. And I, the paramedics were asking me questions. I knew the answers. It was so slow getting it out. Yeah. Um, luckily, I have a lanyard with my medical details on. Mm. Just gave him that. And he said, oh, thank you. And it helped him immensely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I've been in that situation before, and you're trying to get out the information and the harder you try, the less you can get it out. And yep. then the more frustrated the situation becomes because people are trying to help you, but you can't communicate and all things like that. And I think having someone like a lanyard would definitely help ease that. Is that something you've had? Did you say you had that before the FND or you've had that? Yeah, before because I've got some other medical conditions and I carry a little um, card with me with my name, hospital number nhs number my yeah. medication just in case i get knocked over yeah the paramedics police will go through your pockets to see who you are yeah and say oh we know who he is now yes um we know his medical history yes um, we know not to give you this drug if that drug actually you're allergic to or something like that and when i gave it to the paramedic he said oh brilliant and we gave it to the ED staff as well, and they don't have to ask half the questions. Yeah. In front of them. Yes. Um, and it takes the pressure off you as well, doesn't it? Yes. And it just helps. It helps kind of ease that, especially if you're um, like, um, I would be like seizing uncontrollably, like to be able to then try and give out my name, which I didn't know, and anything about me was difficult because at the time I was too busy shaking on the floor. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, yeah, it's ways of easing it, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I've had that now for about three years. Mm. Um, it's just tucked away in my wallet, my bus pass, um, and other various places on, on my body. Yeah. And it's very sensible. Yes. And whenever I've shown a doctor or something like that, and they say, brilliant, we wish more people would like this. Is it something that you created yourself or yep. that you... Yep, it was just me. Oh, okay. It was it's... from the idea 
back oh, 20 plus years. Mm. They've had a microfilm version of it in America. Mm. And you basically wrote your stuff down on this form. You photographed it on a piece of 35 millimeter film. Mm. You put it in a plastic wallet. Yeah. A great idea. I thought of trying to incorporate it into the UK market, but it was too complicated because of the data protection and all the medical information. Yeah. But I did this because people don't know what's wrong with you. Yes. You collapse. And they're going in blind. Yeah. Um, but I, I know it's helped. I've had quite a number of um, medics say thank you. You know. Yeah. No, yeah. I think it's I think it's a, um, a good idea. Um, and I think it's actually something that I spoke about with, um, I think it was Scott, actually. Um, if it wasn't Scott, I'm so sorry to whoever mentioned it. Um, about medical passports and things like that. And that sort of idea of having something so that if you are unable to explain your symptoms, your conditions and things like that, it's there, it's it's all on that sheet and you can hand it over and then you can receive the best possible care without having to go through the 20,000 questions. Well, um, they could link that similar to the live scan with the police. So that all you have to do is take your fingerprint and bring up on a medical database and it would be done. Oh, okay. That would be a good idea. I've, uh, yeah, that would make sense. You know, you only have to need a, well, the little lantern devices they have are no bigger than a box of tablets, for example. Yeah. And then it can be linked to their iPad and it's boom. Oh, there's all the information about him. Yeah. Because if you, now, if I collapse in Kingston, that's fine because the Kingston Hospital has my records. Yeah. But if I go to King's College in London, they don't have any records and they can't get access to my records. Yeah, which seems crazy that there's not I don't know, like some sort of centralised way of like transferring over without it needing to be like a long-winded, like month-long process. Yes. I don't uh, know if that is accurate time-wise. I'm just pulling out a number. <laughs> well, when I, I actually was in Kingston, oh, 1st of December, and I said, well, would you like my records from King's to give you a background? Oh, yes, please. I luckily had the stuff on my phone. Mm. Requested the full records. Yeah. He emailed it to them. And they said, brilliant. We now know a lot more about you. Yeah. It, it's, 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 I think, having all the pieces of the puzzle, isn't it? Or at yeah. least if you don't have all of them, it's having like 80% of them. And then you can you can really focus on that twenty percent you don't have instead of trying to get the whole picture. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's definitely ways that maybe I'm sure someone out there has considered it. It's just the way of making it actually practically happen, isn't it? Yes, that's that's all it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and but, a, I think it's that they're worried about the data protection and where the records may fall into the wrong hands. Yeah, I guess that's a concern with most data now, isn't it? Yeah, um, but the police can do it with their live scan and only they have that information. So why can't we do it on medical? 
Oh, I don't know. It's a good question. Don't know. You know, it's... I, I don't know. That's a question for the big wigs up in government. <laughs> well, if any big wigs are listening, here you go. We've got a question for you. Please, can you answer? We would appreciate it. Yep. Um, so I just want to go back to kind of the FND and things like that. So would you mind just kind of talking us through? I know you shared um, you shared quite regularly on your social media and things like that. But just for those who haven't come across it, kind of what your story is with FND. When did it start? What symptoms you had and things like that? Well, I think I've had FND for a couple of years, but mm. we didn't realise it. Yeah, okay. September this year. Sorry, that? I didn't realise it until September. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, Valentine's Day last year, which was 22, I went to talk to my gastroenterologist and she got me a CT scan that day. How? I don't know. <laughs> Magical powers. Yes. Um, <laughs> it was just to sort out my bowels. That's fine. But then after the CT scan, I had a left-sided weakness, about 20% loss in power. Mm. So I was wheeled round to the A&E triage centre, and they said, oh, that looks like a stroke. Yeah. Straight into recess, assessed very, very quickly. The doctor said, I'll be a couple of minutes. And she came back in probably about three or four minutes. And she said, we're taking you to uh, St. Thomas's. Why? We suspect you have a stroke. Two minutes later, the ambulance was there waiting for me to take me to St George's. Oh my goodness, that is a quick turnaround. Yes, and literally I was on the ambulance and in St George's less than 15 minutes later. Oh my, your brain must have been going so quickly at that point. Yeah. Like, just trying to keep up with everything that's happening. Yeah. And then it's just in the TV documentaries you see of people fussing around you in the emergency department. Mm. And there are, I don't know how many people there was. There was a doctor, somebody taking my bloods, somebody looking after me generally, and other people buzzing around. And you could tell there was doctors um, in the in the wings, so to speak, discussing my case. Yeah. Whizzed the CT, um, had a COVID swab on the way, came back. It was a bit. As you do, because everyone needs a COVID swab on the way. That is the time we're living in. They wouldn't let me leave the department without it. Exactly. Um, A doctor came with me to the CT scan and was checking my vitals all the way through, which was amazing. Wheeled back, and the nurse said, Oh, I think you're going home now. And you're like, What? Said, what the heck? I, I I was still confused. Yeah. And then they said, oh, no, you've got to have an MRI. Uh, and they said, oh, that will be done tomorrow. Oh, oh, you're staying in with us, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yes, I think so. Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> they weren't either. So I was in St. George's for two days. And... The, the CT scan, the MRI, the blood test all came back negative. Mm. Um, and by the end of the second day, I'd gained all the power back in my legs and arms. Yeah. So I was sent home. Mm. That's fine. I, I then moved in March. Um, 
And then on Easter Saturday, it was a beautiful sunny day. So I said, let's go into central London um, to have a day out. I was going to have some food, sit in the park and do nothing. Yeah. Which was a lovely day. Yes. Now, I was on my way home, got a few bits and pieces, and I went to find my key to my door and I lost it. And I didn't have a spare anywhere. Mm. So I called the emergency number for my landlord. He wouldn't answer. Oh. Yes. Um, and I gave him an hour. Still no answer. Uh, so I said, my travel brain um, got together and said, well, let's just book a hotel and stay there the night and then sort it out tomorrow. Yeah. And... So I got some bits and pieces, um, toilet toiletries, etc., and it started to head towards the station. I fell as I was getting on the train. Oh gosh! Yeah, um, but I had enough power to get up and on the train. Hmm. Uh, my head was spinning again. I had this left-sided weakness, and I said. This is not right. Um, as I was heading to Waterloo, I know there's guys in St. Thomas Hospital just down the road. Yeah. Um, so I said, I'm going to check myself to A&E because I need some help. Yeah. So got there and they took me straight round and did some basic tests. And I was there for five and a half, six hours, I think. Mm. Um, after CT scan, they had a chat with people at King. They said, oh, you're okay to go home. You're and like, but I just fell, lost all my power, trying to get onto a train. Like... At one thirty in the morning, I got discharged. My goodness me. Yeah. So I tried to get hold of the hotel. Nah, they would not answer their phone or email. So I said, oh, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. Um, I was hungry, so I got some food, which is great in London because you can get food 24-7. I was about to say, London doesn't stop, so... <laughs> so, And then I sort of said, about three o'clock, I said, what the heck am I going to do for the next four or five hours? Yeah. And I remember a documentary on how the homeless take long bus rides to sleep and keep warm. Hmm. So I just did that. Hmm. I wasn't going to sit around. It was a bit chilly. So might as well just go on long distance journeys. <laughs> <laughs> but bless you, at that point, obviously, you'd you'd had the incident with the train. You, you'd been into A&E. Like, were you still displaying symptoms at this point? No, that's the thing. It, I recovered. Oh, my goodness. I was, I was feeling a bit woozy. But apart from that, I was I could walk OK. I had my power back. My goodness, that's such, like, I know, I like, FND is a bit of a fickle mistress. She does what she wants, when she wants, how she wants. But still, like, that's, it's just madness. It still blows my brain, and I go through it, like, semi-regularly. Like, it blows my brain that our brains have the power to do that, to lose something and gain it back so quickly. Yeah. Bonkers. Well, then I went, I said, I'll go to Waterloo, because that gives me a lot of connections to various places and home. And so I had breakfast at um, Waterloo at 8 o'clock. Now, at 8.09, because there's a big clock in Waterloo Station, 
I was reaching over to my bag to grab something, and I just fell to the floor. Oh, gosh. Now, I did it so gently that it didn't hurt. <laughs> but you still fell? I still fell, and I couldn't move. I was literally had no power. I don't know if my body had locked up, but I couldn't move. Luckily, a contractor on the station saw me and said, are you okay? I said, no, I need help. Hmm. So he went and got help. And with the station manager, we managed to call for an ambulance, which was amazing. And they did some basic checks on me. And they said, can you walk to the ambulance? I said, I have no idea. I'll try. Yeah. Nope. I could not walk whatsoever. So were your legs not, did your legs not want to move at that point? Did you not have feeling what, what was going on? I, I'm just trying to think. It was, yeah, it's like the legs, I didn't have any legs, any power from the waist down. Yeah. But there was no pain. Um, <laughs> it was like there was nothing there. Yeah. But my left side had gone as well. Mm. And chatting to him again, it was trying to get the words out in the back of the ambulance yeah, of how I was feeling, etc. And because I gave him this little medical car, he said, that's okay, we know who you are, we know what, etc. That's fine. He said, don't worry, just relax. And I said, where are you taking me? He said, we're going to take you to King's because that's the trauma centre for brain injuries. Yeah. And 10 minutes later on blue lights, I was there. Um, and it was, again, surreal. you got zillions of people around you taking bloods, making sure you're okay, doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. <laughs> um, then, again, whizzed around very quickly to the CT scan. Now, I was expecting only one scan of my mm -hmm. brain. Yeah. And that was fine. But then the nurse technician came out and said, oh, we're going to do another one for, of you. I said, oh. Okay, here you go. Have another picture of my brain. Collect yeah. a couple for me. Um, and she did explain it to me because um, it was jerking in and out and it gives a different picture of the brain. Hmm. She had to check my cannula that the fluid was going to go into my veins correctly. Yeah. And to be honest, from then onwards, I don't remember much. I don't even remember the CT scan, getting in, getting out. I, I was away. My brain was just not functioning then. Your brain was having it, living its best life on holiday, doing its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they asked me to get on or off the CT table, I said, nope, I can't, can't move. No, no thank you. Not today. So they had to get four or five people to... Oh, bless you. I remember that because it wasn't very comfortable. But, yes, I imagine. And so by the time I got back into recess, and then two or three minutes later, the doctor came back and I, I was told the scans are clear because they actually stay with the CT staff to see the results that quickly. Yeah. And 45 minutes later, in total, they said, oh, we have to admit him. Well, I can't walk. 
what would you like me to do? Would you like me to fly to you? How would you like me to do this? And But they kept me under observation in recess for about four hours because mm. um, they didn't know what the hell was happening. On the way back, I saw, you've heard of TPA, which is the drug that helps with strokes. Um, Vaguely, yes. Okay, it's a drug that if you had a stroke, certain types of stroke, that is, mm. the TPA is, it has to be administered within 90 minutes or something. Of the oh, stroke. yeah. And they had all that kit ready when I got back into the recess. And they told somebody, oh, you can pack that away. We don't need that. So I knew it wasn't a stroke. You're like, what is it at this point? Just tell me, what, what is going on? <laughs> Thing is, I didn't find that out until three days later. Oh, my goodness me. So I am completely... Uh, I had to wait for the rest of the day for a bed to come available on the friend's ward. Mm. And... It was just a surreal thing that I don't know how long I'm going to spend in hospital. Nobody could tell me anything because yeah. they, they didn't know either. Yeah. Um, it was, wasn't until the next day when I saw the consultant and then we had an MRI and all other blood tests. That night, my legs, oh, I've never hit the 10 out of 10 pain scale. Yeah. But I did that night when they examined me because I was in so much pain from my waist down. Yeah. And the doctor said, what's the problem? I said, well, it's all my pain from my waist down. It's like they're on fire. Mm. And he did some exams. I said, I sort of said, hang on a second, you stop. Um, and I hit the 10 out of 10. So I now know what that feels like. I have been fortunate enough not to reach that point. Um, well, that's the first time ever for me. Mm. And then he got his boss um, down and she did the same stuff. And she was the one who cleared me uh, to be discharged one thirty the previous day. <laughs> and I, I was tempted to say something sarcastic, but I said I kept quiet. Yeah. Um, because FND is completely random. One day you're fine, one day you're not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I spent well a total of five days in Kings. They didn't allow me to walk until day three when the physio said, "Let's see what we can do with you." Mm. I did. How, half... how did the um, the physio respond when you did walk? Um, I was basically, my whole leg was shaking. Yeah. And there was three of them there. They walked, we walked around, half around, half around the department. Hmm. And they had a chair in case I needed to stop, which I did three times. Hmm. But my legs were like um, just vibrating jelly. Uh, there was no power, real power at all. Yeah, I'm just curious because um, from my own experience and from conversations with other people, um, sometimes that first kind of interaction with a physio can be quite, unfortunately, quite negative. Um, and I know that when I first encountered a physio, when I was admitted into hospital right back at the beginning, 
the comment was, well, why are you choosing to walk like that? So I was just interested to see if that was a comment that you'd also received. No. Oh, they, I'm glad you didn't. They were just encouraging me to see if I can walk. Yeah. And there was three of them there who yeah. were there to protect me or help me not fall down too hard and things like that. Yeah. But um, in my past life, I have done stuff with physiotherapists um, on a social level, mm. I used to do wheelchair controllers. So mm. I know what they're expecting of me. Yeah. And I can speak in their language. Mm. And I told them this. <laughs> <laughs> I know your words. I know how you speak. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's, so I know how they think. Um, so it had helped. Yes. And... There were actually three disciplines within that physiotherapy team, and I can't remember exactly which one was which. But it sounds like you had, they were there and they were really supportive and they were just trying to work out where your line was, which is a, a far nicer experience, I would imagine, to what could have happened. Yes. Um, did you feel like, so did, did the work with the physio, sorry, let me try that one again. Um, did your work with the physios continue? Um, we just did that one that day on the third day. Mm. Then the next day I said, can I try the whole lap of the department? They said, yes. And I said, I would like to try a little bit of stairs as well. Yeah. And they said, that's not a problem. And they just took it at my speed. That's good. Amazing. That's good. Uh, so at this point, did you have the the kind of the FND tag? Sorry, I'm sorry if you've already said it. My brain has decided to fog over slightly. Um, did you have the FND diagnosis at this point? Yes, on day three. Right, day three. Sorry, I've got all in a muddle with the timelines. Carry on. My apologies. <laughs> and the thing is, when I was told about FND, I was given FND Hope and Neurosymptoms website yep. to look up. Yep amazing things but i still didn't understand it yes you know because i three days ago i was perfectly fine and then all of a sudden bang you 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 are not perfectly fine yeah but once i've spoken to the consultant on i think late she came and saw me after giving me the diagnosis mm. and i spilled my guts about my background my history and stresses and strains, etc. Yeah, and your your inside leg measurement, what you had for breakfast two years ago, all that stuff. Yes, and it wasn't until the discharge day she actually came and thanked me. She said, "Thank you for being so candid with me," mm. because it actually helped along the way on medication, yeah. treatment, aftercare plans, etc. Yeah. Um, she even got me some mental health therapy while I was there mm. um, and a few other things that she didn't have to do yeah but she did yeah and you were really being this was an amazing department you were really being looked after yeah um, I suppose it was help it did help that I was the only one speaking because it was a stroke unit and yeah. lots of the people are non-verbal yeah and so i was the only one talking so they probably had oh michael's talking we can talk to him 
yeah but i'm i'm glad that they were they were able to kind of listen to what you had to say and take it all on board because i think like the diagnosis of fnd is really hard just on its own yeah um, but the way in which doctors will then interact you interact with you during the process of giving you the diagnosis and then afterwards can be so it can go one way or the other and be either really helpful or really um oh god what's hindering yes if you're told oh well it's just something that's wrong inside your head as your diagnosis well you're immediately going to feel like a failure and all these negative things whereas if you have a doctor that phrases it in a slightly different way to do with like it's the software it's not your hardware it's okay like this is what it means that gives you a different setup into the process of then kind of everything else that comes after it doesn't it yes um it was like i was having lunch in the day room and she came in and she said can i have a chat oh, of course you can and the other people left the lunch room <laughs> <laughs> She did a brief exam, and then I had a very informal chat, but that was one of the best chats we had. Mm. Um, and I asked, can it happen again? And she said, it might Yeah. Uh, collapse. And I found out it has done. Um, and I said, oh. And she explained a few more bits and pieces to um, help me along, should I say. Yeah comprehending it yeah it's a life-changing event yeah and one of her best words of advice is you now need to ask for help whether that's from your doctor mental health team physio whatever yeah and she she, she looked that was late on day three i think and i said well okay to myself i've got to ask for help and I can't do this alone. Yeah. Um, so I went and saw my doctor after I got discharged. And other things, she could do certain other referrals. And she suggested a few things and sorted me out from that side of things. Mm. Did you find, so when, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to jump back slightly. When they said... <clears throat> you have FND, how was it explained to you? Oh, they just gave me two websites. And that and that was it. They didn't they didn't try and say it was a software thing or anything like that. They did explain that. Okay. She said to read up on it, you can go and do this. Oh okay. Um so I was sat there in my hospital bed reading it. But again your brain's not working hundred percent. I think that's that's the thing that I mean I'm going to, this is going to sound very strange, but I was quite fortunate that my husband was there with me yeah. when we were told. So I could not comprehend. I didn't have the faintest scooby what was going on in life. I couldn't tell you what TV was, a car was. I could tell you literally nothing. Oh, okay. But when that diagnosis came in, he was able to then go to those websites and look it up and research it and things like that. But had it just been me, there would have been absolutely no way I could have interacted with any of that information because of the state I was in. And I think that's something that needs to maybe be considered a bit more is based on the state that someone is in, 
saying, oh, you know, just go have a look at the websites. Well, if they don't know who they are or which way is up, are they really going to be able to take in what's written on a website? Potentially not. Um, I don't know how you kind of combat that. Um, but it was just a thought as you were speaking, like that's something that maybe needs to be considered. Um, yeah, I didn't. Unfortunately, I don't have a wife or a girlfriend at the moment. So there was nobody there to help me along with mm. me. But she thought I was, I was having good conversations with her or competent conversations. Yeah. So she thought I could understand the language. Yeah. Uh, which I did to a certain extent, but the thing was going on in my mind is why has it happened? Yeah. Why, why, why? Hmm. Um, and I think it was when I got home that you realise, oh, I can't walk properly. Hmm. Um, I had to use a stick for the first time. Hmm. And I thought I was only going to use that for three or four weeks just to get my legs back. Ah. No. <laughs> yeah. Did was, was the stick a suggestion from the physio? No, from me. You suggest. Okay, that's. I was just because um my so my uh, the walking man that I saw more regularly in the end he was like I don't want to give you anything because I don't want you to become reliant on it. So I was just curious if that if it was them that suggested it or if it was you. Well, I suggested it for me because I said I've got to learn to walk outside and it's an uneven surface. Yeah. And she said, as long as you use it just outside, when you're going to the shops, et cetera, that's fine. But yeah. don't use it in the house. Yes. Which I don't do. Yeah. And I said, that's fine with me. And I put a time limit of three to four weeks. My legs will be back to normal. Yeah. But then, as everybody know, FND mutates. And, <laughs> and because at that point, my knee or my waist were not giving way. Mm. I was just hobbling. Yeah. Um, about five, six weeks, maybe eight weeks later, my leg start, my left leg started to give way. And I said, oh, this is new. And it was every time I stopped to cross the road or pay for an item. Mm. So you do a little dance. I, It's... Uh, an FND dance, so you can hold yourself up with the stick, but it shocks everybody around you. Because <laughs> you're, you're just looking at, they, people are looking at you and say, what the hell's going on with you? I say, oh, this is perfectly normal. <laughs> this is this is me, don't you worry, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yes. So I, I have that same thing, like when I um, regress to being like five years old, People will, I'll be talking normally like I am now, and then all of a sudden I'll switch over and I'm five years old. People look at you and go, what on earth has just happened? And I'm like, quite happy. I'm off like skipping, living my best five-year-old life. And people are like, hang on a second. What has just happened to this person in front of me? There's like that shock, isn't there, of the sudden change? Oh, yes. Um, so, and the knee giving and the waist giving away has actually increased in the last, three or four months i'm sorry to hear that um yes yeah, so am i because my photography me needs me to stand up yeah and i need to talk to a video to find out if there's any braces i could use mm. to stop it doing it just for a yeah. short period of time yeah um i don't want to use a wheelchair yet 
Have you, have you never used a wheelchair? Um, only in the context of demonstrating powered wheelchair controllers. Okay. So, no. Is it, is, do you mind me asking why you don't want to use a wheelchair? Um, I, I, I think I could become too reliant on it. Yeah. Um, also, I, where I'm living at the moment, I can't store it. So when I move in the next couple of months, that is one of the requirements is that I can have an accessible place. Yeah. Then I've, I've really got to talk to the physio and the neurologist. Mm. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a, you should be using it. It was just more of a, I'm curious as to your thinking behind it. Um, because I did end up in a wheelchair yeah. um, and I ended up in a wheelchair kind of because there was no other way of moving me around unless you wanted to wait 10 years for me to get to you. Um, and it was just that I don't remember that process of ending up in the chair. Um, so it was just a curious Oski part from on my side of just uh, is there is it an aversion to going into the chair or is it just that it's not practical? And it doesn't matter either way. I was just curious. Sorry. At the moment, it's a bit of both. I think um, that's fair, though. I think I it's just I want to see how my photography does without a chair. Um, if I can cope taking photographs of sports events without a chair, I will do it. Yeah. Um, but getting around, my legs and waist do ache after about two or three hours at an event. Yes. And when there's not a chair around of any description, I do feel... When I come home, my legs are really painful. Yeah. So perhaps for certain events, I would need a wheelchair to relieve the pain. Yeah. I Especially on the way home. Yeah. No, and I, I get that. I find that if I stand up for too long, I, if there's not a chair, I tend to just sit on the floor. Yes. Because I'm like, I just yeah. need to take the weight off my legs. I just need to be somewhere else. Let me just sit on the floor. I don't care what I look like. I'll be on the floor for 10 minutes and then I'll get up and I'll be fine. Yeah, um, I haven't, I've, I've got to work that one out yet because um, everything is still evolving and I think it will evolve for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, things will get better, things will get worse. Yeah, I think that is the the fun part of the FND, isn't it, is that it's it's ever-changing and we can have, you know, months at a time where there are limited symptoms, we function relatively well, and then all of a sudden, because the wind changed direction, you can lose it all again. Yeah. Uh, and I think the unpredictability of it is the part that is just so un... It's just not... I want to say unkind, but it's not unkind, but it's just so unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and it stops you being able to like formulate plans and things like that. Well, I just don't know how I'm going to be on the day. That's it. Um, I had been reading and hearing about people with the flare ups mm. on the Twitter community and other places. And I actually haven't had a basic flare up. I've had little bits, mm. etc. one or two symptoms. Mm. And then over Christmas, 
I had the flare-ups to all flare-ups where oh, everything I... attacked me. Oh, gosh. My pain, my legs, my stomach, my bowels, my head, everything came together over yeah. Christmas. Um, from Christmas Eve until about the 2nd of January. Oh, bless you. The mess. And I think you even, I put a, a plea out on Twitter community, and there was so much outpouring of support and love sort of thing. Mm. It helped me through it. So that community is amazing to help you along. Oh, it, it is definitely. I've I've got so much from like the Twitter community, um, just interacting with so many different people, and I feel like actually quite privileged to be able to chat to so many different people and be able to share their stories and their their tips and their tricks and their their kind of experience. Um, and yeah, like you say, you can go there and you will just have this amazing wave of support of you can do this, you've got it, we're here. Have you tried this? And kind of a general, like, even though we might be spread across the world, in that moment, you're all together in the same place. Absolutely. And that's where Dr. Joe on there, who's got FND, suggested I get a cranial scalpel massage. Oh, that was... And you found that really helpful, didn't you? Absolutely. Um... I will recommend that to anybody. Would you mind just talking a little bit about that for us? Like what it is yes. uh, and the impact it had on you? Basically, you just take your shoes off. You're kept warm on the table. Mm. They are hardly touching you, almost like a holistic massage. Mm. So she started at my feet and just you could just feel her hands go over the edges of the feet mm. um she came round to my neck and we found a trigger point in my neck mm. i was spasming big time but it wasn't painful it was just involuntary spasms yeah she touched me in the middle of my back somewhere and a few other places over about a 45 minute process mm. And I was sceptical at first. I said, well, how can that so little light feather touch be amazing? Mm. And it wasn't until I got home that evening that I said, hang on a minute. My legs, they're not spasming. Uh, I said, that's just because I've been a bit more relaxed. But it actually continued for about three days. Mm. They didn't, like spasms once a day instead of, multiple times per hour. That's amazing. And I sort of said, oh, I like this. <laughs> this you works know. for me. I'll continue doing this. Thank and you. <laughs> my brain was a lot clearer. Mm. And I sort of said, yes, I will take this any day. Mm. Um, and I'm actually going back in the middle of this month for a two-handed massage, not, or two-person massage. Mm. I'm not quite sure what that's going to entail. <laughs> But I'm looking forward to getting relaxed, etc. Um what, what was the what was the process called again? Cranial cranio scalpel scalpel therapy. It's on my website. 
Okay. Would you, uh, would you mind just sharing your website so people can go have a look if they're interested? A photographer with fnd.com. Wonderful. I think tells my whole story from a non-medical point of view mm. um, as things are happening in real life mm. there's very little medical terms yeah um, and I've had feedback from medical staff and non-medical staff and they love it that's good I'm glad people are engaging with it and are finding it helpful that's amazing yes um, that was part of my mental health therapy that I had to get all this information out because when I look for stories and anecdotes of what people are going through, there was just these little one or two paragraphs, but not in context. Yeah. And I said, hang on a minute, you need a complete story. And back on October the 10th last year, I asked the FNE community, would you like to see this? Mm. And there was an amazing response. Yes, please. And the likes and comments came. I said, okay, I'll do it in two weeks. <laughs> and I did with five posts on the first day, a little bit about me, my FNDs, etc. Mm. And I'm now getting around 250 people a week looking at it. That's amazing. From zero. I think there's there's so much power to be had in sharing stories, isn't there? And and being honest about in the moment. And that's kind of where mine stemmed from was I wanted to give an honest depiction of what was happening with my FMD at the point in time that I was talking about it. Yes. Um, because I felt the same thing. Like there were these great success stories and there were these stories of people who unfortunately didn't get any better, but it wasn't like... I wasn't able to see it as the whole picture. It was just a, a, a spot in time. Yes. Uh, and I wanted to be able to kind of add a bit more illumination, if you like, to the whole area so that people could see the process and be in, a kind of understand it if they needed it themselves, kind of what to look for. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, the thing. So hopefully, you know, I've explained it from a layman's point of view and how it affects me from day to day. Mm. And I've now written the post for next Sunday's, as I post on a Sunday morning normally. Mm. And it was about this flare up over Christmas. Yeah. Through writing that post, I found out what the triggers were. Ah, that's always helpful. That was very, very helpful. So it's it is has helped me healing when I've written some of these things that you say, Oh, now I've put it on paper and I can read it back and you say, Ah, I see. And yeah, you know what triggers it? Because mm. in the middle of December I had to go and ask my doctor for help, which she did. And Said, there's something going on with you, Michael, that's not not normal. Mm. And saw that even on the video conference. Mm. And I said yes, but she saw it. And when I go and see her next week, I will be able to tell her what it is. Yeah. Hopefully, and she'll be able to help me along the next path. 
I think there's there's something to be said for being able to find the trigger, um, but equally to those who, it's okay if you don't know what the trigger is. Yes. Like I've had many an, a circumstance where I've had a flare up, if you like, and I've got no idea what the trigger was. Sometimes I can pinpoint it exactly and I can say it was that smell or it was this circumstance, or it was that circumstance. But other times, it could be literally anything, and I haven't got a scooby what it was. Yeah. But there's there's a point of, it's great if you do know, but if you don't know, that's um, it's frustrating. I appreciate that, but that's also okay that you don't know just yet. It yeah. might be that you'll learn what that trigger is. It will become more apparent in a couple of months' time, a couple of weeks, a couple of hours. It doesn't need to be sold right there and then. Obviously, it's always great if you can, and if you can then just avoid, you know, tomatoes, because they might be a trigger, for example. I don't know why I went to tomatoes, but, um, sorry, random side thought there. Um, but actually, it will come with time. You'll be able to pinpoint more of your triggers. I'm pretty sure I still can't pinpoint all of mine, but I've got enough that I can generally avoid them if I need to. Um, well, I've, I've found two triggers. Mm. Is stress, which mm. gets everybody. Yeah. Um, there's a few things going on in my background that I don't want to happen, but they are happening and yeah, get them resolved, etc. Yeah. And oh, what was the other one? Um, crowded spaces. Mm. I've never been very good in crowds, but then we just had Christmas, and it didn't matter which shop you went into, mm. you were pushed and shoved and there's too many people in there yeah and that was another trigger yeah no completely so it was actually i'll go back to the conversation i had with the neurologist at kingston when he, he said oh yes you've got fnd he, the final diagnosis mm. and he knew i was a travel photographer and he said how much money have you got in your bank account i said not a lot at the moment because he was going to hint that I go back out traveling mm. because the stress levels were virtually zero. Yeah. And so he stopped halfway through that because I think he didn't want to put, uh, go into my personal finances. Yeah. The hint was you've got to go out and do what you love. Yeah. And me is travel and photography. Yeah. So I've now got to build that up again, get some funds together, and go and do that. Mm. Because when I came back in from Asia um, after two, almost two years away, I had some blood tests for my diabetes, mm. and the result was perfect. Literally perfect. <laughs> Including my HbA1c and all the, everything else, and the doctor said, how can you have these levels so clear? Mm. I, well, I was drinking water. I was in a hot country, relaxed. I had good food. Yeah. And I was active. And he said, oh, that's the perfect combination. Yeah. And he said, do more of it. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue to do this. This would be great. Yeah. Um, but then three, six months later down the line, my levels went all over the place. Yeah. I think there, there's um, there's something that I've spoken about um, with like my husband and my my talking man quite a lot 
is actually finding the things you love and doing them is a really great idea but being able to be brave enough to do that to throw everything else to the side for a bit and just focus on the things you love is quite scary yes well Uh, this trip around asia i did i did 10 countries took 35,000 photographs and (laughs) yes a lot um but i'd got into a routine that was getting to bit bit boring I had money in the bank I had a good job and I said I'm not fulfilled Mm. so at the age of 53 I put a plan into action and a year later I went out I cancelled my flat subscriptions everything Mm. left the country I wasn't going to come back yeah and I found my utopia because I took the risk. Yeah. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think it became apparent when I landed in Sydney in late May, when it was 24 degrees, beautiful sunshine, um, blue sky, and all I wanted to do was get the brag shot of the opera house and the bridge in a photograph. Yeah. Yeah. And I stood there after I took the photograph, on Macquarie Park and I said I am as far away as I've ever been from the UK and love Sydney it's, it's, this is their winter it's 24 degrees their winter mm. but I'm in the wrong country it's it's then that was uh five months in it took you t- and then I realized I'm doing what I want mm. and it was an amazing feeling yeah um, yeah. and I've seen so many things along the way beautiful mountains, beaches events festivals, sunsets everything and I've got photographs up on my wall which I have shared before and it's just yeah, a lot of people haven't seen these images mm. and I'm privileged to see these first hand yeah and the magnificence of whatever I saw. I think there's so much, like like I said, like the, I had I've had many conversations about just focusing on the things I I like, the things I I want to do, um, things like that. But it is that you've got to be willing to take that slight risk. But like I've started spending more time outside focused a lot on like animals and seeing horses and things because that's what made me happy and the difference I got from just those two that I can think of at the top of my head was amazing because it was bringing me a sense of happiness yeah that I maybe hadn't quite realized I was missing like you don't you get so swept up into the routine of life that you forget that actually happiness is okay to feel as well yeah um I think it's quite powerful. Um, we have spoken so much about so many different things. I've written so many different notes on my little piece of paper in front of me to try and remember what we've spoken about. Um, but I just wondered, just to kind of finish us off, if you had a bit of advice or a tip or a trick or anything, one last thing that you would like to share, what would it be? Um. On this FND journey, you've just got to ask for help, mm. and there is help out there. 
Um, don't be afraid or embarrassed for help. Because when I've asked for help, my doctor, my social prescriber, or anybody I've con come into contact with, they said, yes, we can help you. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until when I got a lot of people back. And the other thing is go for some mental health therapy because this is life changing. Mm -hmm. Your life has changed 180 degrees. Mm. Now, with my sports photography, I'm changing it from mainstream to disabled now. Mm. I'm going to get into that. But you've got to, uh, you need the mental health therapy to get you through it. You got to, it's like grieving, isn't it? Yes. And they, that's one thing they did tell me is you've got to grieve your past life, things you can't do. But there is so many other things you can do. Yeah. That's the important bit is you're not going to be stuck at home doing nothing. Yeah. You've got to sit down and say, well, what do I used to like doing? Um, it was, there was a lady on Instagram who said she was getting a sort of little bit fed up with her school or whatever that she taught at. And I said, well, forget that. What do you like doing? Can you make something? Can you do something for other people at your own pace? Hmm. Um, with my photography, I could do probably two events per week. That's it. Hmm. Before feeling exhausted. So you've got to ask for help. Hmm. That's from medical and I certainly say mental health. And then they will suggest things that you haven't even thought of. I think it's about being open to those suggestions, isn't it? Being open. Yeah. And don't worry if you can't wash up that day. Yeah. It's little things like that. They will wait. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, but asking for help in all I directions. I think that's a really, a really good thing to kind of end on. And I, I, I want to just say that asking for help is never easy no uh, being honest about your mental health is not easy fully appreciate that but sometimes you've you've got to take that step you've got to ask and say hey look right now it's all too much i just need you to give me a little bit of support it's okay if you don't know what support you need but just by saying you need a bit of support things might just start to change for the better for you um and yeah, it's scary, it's terrifying to ask, but actually people will, people care, people want to help, whether that's virtually through Twitter, your doctor, whoever it might be, family, friends, co-workers, whoever it is, people will do what they can to help you the best that they can. Um, you just have to take that step and be willing to accept it. Yeah, that's it. It's just been open to your life has changed. Yeah. Um, and you can explore, you can, you can, I can still have an amazing life and yeah. I will do. Mm. So, but you need some, I didn't realize I'm gonna need some, a second set of therapy. But remember with mental health therapy, you must stay the course. Mm. It wasn't until week three or four of seven that I realise what how it's working with me. So it's not one session and it's done. Yeah. 
you've got to have these regular sessions. They'll give you some homework. That's fine. But it's not taxing. And, and do the homework. They set you homework, do the homework. Yes, because it will, it will answer questions that are in your mind that you don't know what you've got. Yeah. Etc. So don't expect to be a miracle cure in one session. Nope. Yeah. It's antibiotics. You take them for the whole seven days. Yeah. And don't miss one. Otherwise, doctors say, you didn't take them, did you? Yeah. It's not going to work. Same with mental health therapy um, and other bits and pieces. Yeah. I think that's that's a... I feel like it's one of those things that you could talk about to your blue in the face, can you, like, yeah. state force and things like that. But I also understand that people going into things like therapy, it takes a bit of time to be ready for it. And just from my own experience, I've been seeing the same talking man for four years nearly. And only, you know, in the last two months, have we spoken about something that probably should have come up, if you were looking at it, probably should have come up right at the beginning. But yeah. I wasn't ready to talk about it. Um, and bless him, he's been the most patient individual I think I've ever known. And I take my hat off to him because I would not be where I am now without him or any of the team that I've had around me. But it's okay to say, I'm not ready right now and come back to it. Yes, I agree on that. Like, I think... There's a lot of like, yes, once you start, you have to finish. But if you are not in the place where you are ready, then be aware of that and just say, hey, look, right now, this is, I can't do this right now, but can I come back to you? And then go back when you are ready and you'll know when you're ready to talk about things because you'll feel that, oh, I felt that need to talk about it. I just needed to get it off of me, out of me and off of me and away from me. Um, so yeah, whilst... It's great. Just be aware that it's okay to just say, "Hey, you know what? Right now, it's not working for me." That's also okay too. Yes, they will work around you. Yeah, that took quite a serious turn there, didn't it? Just for a second, I feel a bit like, oh, I don't know, feel a bit cathartic. That. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Michael, for coming on. I My really appreciate your time and you sharing your story. That's fine. Um, I've enjoyed the uh, the talk. I love talking about my condition now. <laughs> it does help with the website yeah i've got a much better understanding through my website and just talking to people on twitter and having the fnd hope um online sessions once a month chatting to local people mm. and seeing how we are all coping yeah but we uh are an amazing community together we are. We are. There's some very amazing individuals out there. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Michael. And um, stay tuned, guys, for the next episode coming soon.